You're listening to WERA LP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. And learning more about each other and, and really giving them that safe space to be curious. Because in a lot, a lot of times that, that just doesn't exist. Either you don't know people who are different than you or you don't feel comfortable asking. Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. This is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. In her 1960 plain language guide, You Learn by Living, Eleanor Roosevelt wrote, If you approach each new person you meet in a spirit of adventure— you will find you become increasingly interested in them and endlessly fascinated by the new channels of thoughts and experience and personality that you encounter. I don't mean simply the famous people of the world, but people from every walk and condition of life. Mrs. Roosevelt described what more recent research bears out. We are improved by our willingness to see and hear and be changed by others. Francesca Gino, a behavioral scientist and professor of business administration at Harvard Business School, does research on curiosity and this very topic. She finds that when our curiosity is triggered, we're less likely to fall prey to confirmation bias. So we're more willing to grasp evidence that suggests we might be wrong or to fall prey to stereotyping people. That curiosity has these positive effects because it leads us to generate alternatives. And further, that groups in her research whose curiosity had been heightened performed better than the control groups. They shared information more openly and listened more carefully. So how do we heighten curiosity and listen more carefully? And how might we do that in service of our community and most particularly given where we are as a nation right now, with black voices and leadership. I thought it would be important to talk with someone who's devoted herself to those very questions and whose work seems to have evolved and emerged through a process of asking herself and others about how we want to show up in the world and what transformation we might be willing to work for. My guest, Krista Jones, has been named one of Leadership Arlington's Top 40 Under 40 and was featured in Ebony Magazine as a hero next door. She's represented two associations as a registered lobbyist and served as the director of outreach for two members of Congress. While serving in the Peace Corps, Krista helped create student governments and procured funding and provided training for a community radio station an interest she has carried forward as she hosts a seat at the table here at Arlington Independent Media, as well as making democracy work with the League of Women Voters on WERA. She's a graduate of the Sorensen Institute of Political Leadership and the Women's Campaign School at Yale. And in 2006, Krista founded Virginia Leadership Institute, now Vote Lead Impact, with the specific goal of increasing the number of blacks in elected office. And she continues to work on diversifying the voices at the political table in hopes of better public policy for all of us. So welcome, Krista. I'm really excited to have you with us. I am excited to be here. Thank you, Lynn. 
So you've said elsewhere that your mom always knew you would stand up for others and that you knew that about yourself, even if you didn't necessarily know what form it would take. Do you have a memory of when you first thought of yourself as curious? You know, it probably started before I recognized myself as any type of an advocate. Mm. My dad uh, was in the Navy and we lived abroad. We lived in Naples, Italy. And I just remember wanting to be an archaeologist. I have always been interested in history. And I think that archaeologist or archaeology interest started with Pompeii, you know, and Mount Vesuvius and learning about that. Oh, sure. But I I think my interest in history is probably a good example of me just being curious, just wanting to know more about what has happened in the past. That seems to be something that I've always wanted to do. And actually, when I think about her talking to me about me being an advocate or standing up for people, I also think about her encouraging me to really watch like a lot of black history specials, like Mm. things on the sixties and, uh, you know, protests. And, and it's interesting because I never thought of her as being much of an advocate, but she always encouraged me to, you know, learn important dates before I even learned them in history, understand the importance of black history. So that interest and love of history, I think is a good example of me being curious at an early age. Yeah. Oh, I think so. I think so. So you went off to Paraguay with the Peace Corps. And when we were preparing for this conversation, you wrote to me that you were challenged with new ideas of acceptance, diversity, and service by that experience. What did that look like? So serving in the Peace Corps, I really did not know much about what I was going to get into. Mm. I always, people always say, well, don't you remember seeing those commercials on TV about the Peace Corps? (laughs) I don't really (laughs) remember that. And actually, when I was at the University of Florida, that for some reason, the time I was there, they did not really promote the Peace Corps. Uh So when I came back, or when I came to the DC area, um, I had a conversation with my stepmother, and she said, you know, it sounds like you may want to be interested in doing something with the Peace Corps. I applied immediately and a year later I was gone. (laughs) But when I went over there, I knew I was obviously going to go to a Spanish speaking country. I knew that I was going to be in the field of municipal services development or democracy building. And that part was understandable. A lot of people, when they think of the Peace Corps, they do think about, you know, rugged outdoor environments, you know, Uh, bathrooms outside and things like that. I did not have that type of Peace Corps experience. But what was more challenging was the idea of race and how people, how Paraguayans saw me. Even though Paraguay borders Brazil, and some might think they would be used to seeing darker skinned people, I was teased and just, you know, treated not great as I walked down the street. And so when I said that um, about my experiences, I meant that being in 2000, I was there from 2000 to 2002. I had never really felt a lot of outward discrimination or or racism. It's definitely not since I was very, very young. So it was a very different feeling to walk down the street and be people for people to say things about my skin tone and my hair. 
And that really forced me to think about where that was coming from with them. Mm-hmm. And while it's so easy for Americans to say that is racism, I don't think it was. It was more in ignorance. So on top of the work that I did in the Peace Corps as for my project, I also had to come to terms with how people across the world saw me and dispel any type of previous notions based on their experiences about what I might think that they're thinking. So I had to come up with a different way of really approaching them. And by the end of my service, I had actually started two groups, two Peace Corps groups to help other Black volunteers deal with these similar instances that they had, and also to educate other mainly white Peace Corps volunteers about how to support and their Black colleagues and learn more about diversity in general. So it ended up being a learning experience for everyone. Well, yeah. And did you find that your experience returning to the States was different? I mean, did you feel different upon your return, having had that experience? I think I just felt more enlightened, not really necessarily about race, because, I mean, I came back and people treated me like they had before. Like I said, I never really experienced a lot of racism, per se, in growing up. Um, So... It, for a di- for totally different reasons, it was more cultural in terms of getting used to consumerism and capitalism that I felt I had to deal with, not necessarily around race. Mm-hmm. So then you began work, you went to graduate school, and then there was this, this I don't know, a, a challenge from your professor or an epiphany on, an epiphany on your own behalf that that something was needed and that maybe you were a person to make that happen. Tell us about founding Virginia Leadership Institute, now Vote Lead Impact. What got you there? Yes. So when I did come back, I came back to the D.C. area and really just started to, um, I was an intern on Capitol Hill. I became a lobbyist uh, around 2003. And while I was just kind of learning more about the whole Capitol Hill, Washington, D.C. environment and looking at people in politics and and constituency groups and how large organizations operate in terms of government relations, I really started to notice that there weren't a lot of African-Americans or there was not much of an African-American voice. There were the traditional voices, of course, of the Congressional Black Caucus and the larger organizations like the NAACP. But in terms of staffers and just kind of a Black presence, I noticed that wasn't there. I ended up going to George Washington and got my master's and was talking to a professor about writing my thesis on the lack of Black congresspeople in Virginia. And he said, instead of making it a purely academic thesis, why not try to solve the problem? Mm. And so therefore I created this organization, just brought together some people I knew in different areas uh, to be our first board and got to work at training and mentoring and recognizing the African-Americans who were involved in politics. And being in Northern Virginia, since the organization originally started only in Virginia, mainly in Northern Virginia, it was interesting as well because you have to remember this is pre-Obama. There was not even a Black Chamber of Commerce yet in Northern Virginia. So it was really 
there was a need. There was absolutely a need. One of the most interesting things about VLI to me is that people have told me, or what I've been able to see, is that they don't even have to attend one of my trainings or receive a, an award from VLI just by hearing about the organization and knowing that there is there are people out there working to get more Blacks in office. That enough for some people is encouragement for there to run, right? Just having that support. Yeah. It's like that whole saying, you can't be what you can't see. So it's almost the organization exists and we are what people see. <laughs> so that's been great. It's been an excellent experience. And I think we've been able to do a lot of good. So that's actually really interesting because you've also written this manual, A Seat at the Table, a guide for finding your voice as an advocate and a political leader. And, you know, I've been wondering about sort of, well, what role does curiosity play in bringing people to the table, in in getting to the table oneself and being at the table? But you've raised this interesting point that there's there's something that happens when you can see it that's not even about curiosity, right? It's like a mm-hmm. pre-curiosity state mm-hmm. of being able to even imagine that this is a thing. That is exactly right. Now, I will say, obviously, the next step is people are interested in how they can make a difference, how they can right. represent other people's voices. But yes, if you can't even imagine yourself there, you're not going to go for it. You're not going to do it. Right. So you work at this really interesting intersection of race and gender and politics and power. Mm. How do you leverage curiosity to help women and people of color take their seats at the table? I think they really have to want something more for their community. So just like my mom saw me that I was an advocate and maybe curious about how I could make a difference and stand up for people, in some ways, I think that is common with a lot of African-Americans. Now, it it may be common for a lot of people, but I'm going to speak mainly about African-Americans. So I I think a lot of African-American women, even if they haven't expressed an interest in politics per se, there is some desire to change our communities just because there's been a need for so long. I think about, in particular, the work that I do through my sorority. These women are joining for camaraderie and sisterhood, but they are getting, whether they enjoy it intensely (laughs) for this or not, they are serving their community because so many of our Black women's organizations are based on that. So I've always thought of it as like, in some ways, the sisterhood is like a hook but we are serving and giving and raising money and doing so much. So I think that that curiosity is almost innate in a lot of Black women in particular, and probably a lot of women in general too, just that notion of and that desire to serve and to do more. And like I said, because unfortunately or fortunately, there's always been so much work to do. It's yeah. been easy to do. Uh, or I'm sorry, not easy, but it, the work has been there for them to do. So I think there is a curiosity in that when they, in particular, are trying to determine what area are they going to work in, because there's a lot of need in our communities. Well, it's interesting you say that, because I was looking at kind of your progression, and I thought, this is so interesting. She's gone from sort of this big question 
about civic structures to increasingly specific inquiry, like from civic structures to who's involved and how, and then why not more blacks and economic and political leadership, and then to why aren't black and white women working together? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you sort of bring it full circle to a question about how we empower each other Mm -hmm. to build a society that works for everyone. I think it's a really, it's a lovely example of just kind of drilling in, you know, sort of following the the question to the next logical question. And the, and the more specific you get, it feels like that's where your impact is happening. As you've gotten increasingly specific, you've had more and more impact. Do you think that's true? Absolutely. With, in terms of black and white women working together, that really came from more of my life experiences, mm. you know, I mentioned sororities and just seeing, and, and, and also my sorority members, frankly, telling me that they reached out, reached out to some of these large organizations and did not feel that they were these large majority white organizations in terms of advocacy and did not feel welcome. A combination of that. And after the Doug Jones special election in Alabama, seeing so much emphasis on black women leading black women the black women's vote matters and they can really make the difference and then starting to wonder as we look to or this was 2016 but looking to future elections how can we be more impactful and why are we so segregated in this domain mm-hmm. so that's when i did some focus groups they've turned i started off doing focus groups and i've ended up just speaking about it in general and bringing together women of all ages, uh, uh, mainly black and white, asking questions of them and encouraging them to be curious about things like hair and men and family life and professional life and learning more about each other and, and really giving them that safe space to be curious. Because in a lot, a lot of times that, that just doesn't exist. Either you don't know people who are different than you or you don't feel comfortable asking. So my goal is that by, you know, taking this information and also that act of bringing all these women together and while they are learning about each other, we can start to work together more in terms of advocacy and make a larger impact. Yeah, yeah. So I want to pivot a little bit to another kind of timely question. I did not know until I read in a spring issue from Arlington Magazine that you had had COVID. So first, how are you? I'm fine. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And you wrote in this really nice piece about that experience that for most of your life, you had been an advocate on issues that did not always affect you directly and that COVID-19 had changed that. And I wondered what you felt it had changed. No, I should first say that I had COVID symptoms. I have not been tested. So I just want to be totally clear. But yes, I I had almost every symptom. I had not really thought of myself, as I said, as being, I don't, victim's not the word, but obviously I'm African-American and I may have experienced um, racism and, and, and sexism, et cetera. But it just became so clear even though it wasn't any any individual doctor or health system's fault per se, but I realized that 
because of, even though I may have um, not had it, I think that it was really scary to know that other people who may have also been in, because at the time, nobody, uh, people were saying that younger people didn't have it. So that's the reason why I couldn't get tested is because I didn't have prior health um, issues. Right. And it was early on in the pandemic by by our standards here in Virginia. Yep. Exactly. So I, I totally understand why I was not tested, but to learn later that there were starting to be people who were diagnosed with it and some even dying with it, it was just scary because I just wonder if we had more resources as a community, uh, especially when you found that more African-Americans were dying, if we had more resources, if everyone could be tested and treated, that would have reduced my chances of possibly dying, even though I didn't die from it. So it was just a huge wake up call to realize that this could possibly happen. This could have happened to me. Well, and what I found so moving is you closed that piece with saying that I hope I'll become an even stronger advocate against inequities that I thought I personally could escape. And to me, again, this sort of comes full circle to this questions of gender and race that, you know, choosing to be curious about the impact of these inequities that one might think one can personally escape mm-hmm. is like a civic duty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. It yeah. it has it has changed. Like I said, the way I do look at health systems, and unfortunately, you know, these are such big questions. No matter how hard I try personally, I may never be able to help um, other African Americans in terms of health or myself. But it is something that I think we all, and that's what's so moving about everything that's happening right now, is that. We're all seeing it. It's just that we all have to, like you said, be, continue to be curious and realize we have that duty to do something about it. Yeah. So what do you wish people were curious about? Really how we can do our part more in this world. Mm. I work in an environment where I see a small segment of the population being very active on issues. And what my life's mission has really been been is to get more people to realize that you can make a difference. And it has been, like I just said, you know, this has just been amazing. It's been a dream, really, to see so much activism. And while a month ago, I might have said, you know, kind of lamenting, might have lamented about there not being more civic activism. I think thankfully today we can say we're getting to a point where that we might be changing the paradigm on that. So I guess right now I'm hoping that people can be curious about how to institutionalize all of this. I am just so fearful. I think like so many people are, is that in a month from now, there will be another issue that we'll move on to and it just won't be important to people. Mm. So I'm hoping that right now, you know, we will continue to think about laws that need to be changed and how these practices and support for these organizations and people will continue. Mm, well said. Thank you for that. So before I let you go, 
Um, I have my big jar of wannabe analogies here, sort of reaching into the future, figuring out what we can do with things, right? Um, you game to do this with me? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. So I have my jar, and I'm going to take out a, uh, oops, a slip for you, a slip for me, and one for our audience, and we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on these slips. So yours says... <laughs> You know, this, um, how is curiosity like sourdough bread? Mm. Um, uh, mine is dental floss, and we'll read the audience ones later. So do you want to go, or do you want me to go first? You can go. Okay. <laughs> so how is curiosity like dental floss? Hmm. Um, curiosity is like dental floss because you should use it every day. And... Um, I, I guess, you know, we use dental floss as, as kind of good hygiene, but we also use it to get stuff out, to kind of get mm. at things that we can't otherwise get to. <laughs> and I think that's how it's like curiosity. That's great. Oh. That's great. All right. So um, sourdough bread, this feels very t- timely and the, the stay-at-home <laughs> fixation with sourdough bread. How is curiosity like sourdough bread? So, you know what? I think my answer might be different than almost anyone else's on this one. So for me, sourdough bread, I love bread. Okay. But sourdough, I don't really like sourdough bread. I think that taste, that combination, I don't really like. So it's almost like curiosity is something that sounds really great, right? On the outside. (laughs) (laughs) But after you kind of start at it, it can be a little uncomfortable, something you don't like. Um, But in the end, um, you know, it, it can be used, I guess, in combination with a lot of other things to make wonderful creations, wonderful meals. So in the end, I think curiosity is great for us all. Uh, very good. Very elegant. Elegant. For, <laughs> for a not a fan of sourdough bread, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. And audience, boy, these really do have a little bit of a theme going here. Um, yours is Zoom conversation. How is curiosity like a Zoom conversation? You know, I ran a happy hour for previous choose to be curious guests. And I asked them to submit uh, things for me to put in my jar. And I'm guessing some of these came from that. (laughs) Okay, audience, how is curiosity like a Zoom conversation? Well, Krista, thank you so much for this. And if people want to learn more about you, about Vote Lead Impact, uh, where can they find more? Uh, Vote Lead Impact, we on our website at voteleadimpact.com. Website is kristajones.com. Um, those are the best ways to reach out. Great, great, good. Well, thank you so much. And I look forward to continuing to uh, watch you in action. It's, thank I you, I never Lynn. know where you're going to show up. It's always interesting. <laughs> thank you, Lynn. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with this or any of the other great shows here on Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can find all my shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to be Curious, and on my website at ChooseToBeCurious.com. I hope you follow me there and on Twitter at Choose Number Two, Letter B Curious. Don't forget to send us your Zoom conversation analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Krista Jones. Check out links to her website as well as Vote Lead Impact on my website, along with Francesca Gino's research. 
Our theme music is by Sean Ballack, and this is Pull Beyond Pull by K2 via Blue Dot Sessions. I hope you'll join me again next time, and until then, just to be curious. Funding for Choose to be Curious is provided in part by Concentric Private Wealth, where changemakers develop clarity for today and confidence for tomorrow by centering on what matters most, which involves more than just money. More information at www.concentricpw.com. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter.